Uh, for the second half of the summer, uh, we have been going through the Psalms, and we have been looking at the Psalms because, uh, in a way, the Psalms help us, as the people of God, to uh, work through our own expression of experiences and emotions. And our hope is, alongside the psalmist, that as we do that, we grow in faith and in hope. And so we've looked at what it means to have hope and faith in the midst of fear and anxiety, despair, grief, envy. And this morning, we're going to finish this series up kind of looking at it from a different way. Uh, Looking at hope and faith as a new song that God has put in our lips as the people of God together. And this psalm that uh, we just read is all about how we have a God who delivers us. We have a God who at his core and his character is a rescuer and a deliverer of us. About a month ago, um, we, uh, myself and about 20 of us here from Hope Chapel, got back from Costa Rica where we went on a mission trip. And while we were in Costa Rica, the ministry and the missionary that we partnered with was called Face of Justice Ministries. And one of the primary facets of Face of Justice Ministries is to rescue girls and women, but primarily little girls who have been sold into sex trafficking. And it was amazing uh, what they do because they had a safe house for these girls. And the safe house was actually below us. Uh, So where we stayed all week, there was a safe house that no one in all of Costa Rica knew about. It was secret. um, That was right below us. And those little girls were down there. And part of our ministry all week was ministering to them, um, getting to know them, some loving on them throughout the week. Our last night while we were there, I got a text from Steve, the missionary. And he told me, he said, hey, I need some intercessory prayer from your team. And I said, okay, what's going on? And he said, there's a little girl, Katie, who's had a really tough week. He said, she's really been struggling. Um, She tried to run away. She's tried to take her life. And right now she is kind of going through a breakdown. She's in a trance. She's kind of moving back and forth. She said she's seeing dark faces in front of her. And she's talking about taking her own life. I need you guys to intercede for her and pray for her. Now, as a pastor, in that moment, um, you would think that that's like a battle cry for me, right? Like, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. Rally the troops and pray for her. But I was terrified, actually. I didn't know. I didn't really have a framework for how to engage with this. And I thought to myself, this need is almost too great. I don't know if I can actually bring myself to a place to believe that God can rescue and deliver her from this breakdown that she's going through. Her past is so horrid, more than anything I've ever experienced, how could she actually find any respite in this? So sinfully, I didn't tell the team. Everyone was cleaning up. We were meeting in 30 minutes, and I was like, I'll wait 30 minutes, and I'll tell them then. And so we get the team together and we're having our meeting and I start off the meeting and I tell them and they have greater faith than I do, way greater. Because as soon as I told them what was going on, they said, let's pray right now. And so we all prayed together and we were praying and um, the voices started to peter out and I close us out and I pray 
for little Katie in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God the Father. And I said those words, and again, I truly didn't believe them, if you want me to be honest. We continue our meeting, and about an hour later, one of the interns who was down there with her in this breakdown comes up. And she said, guys, it was one of the darkest things I've ever experienced with someone. She was rocking back and forth. She was seeing faces. It was horrendous. And she said, but randomly, on a dime, it was like a flip had switched. She started speaking gospel truth. She started speaking scripture. She broke out of the trance. And she was just talking to me about Jesus. And for 30 minutes, she testified to the goodness and the deliverance of God in that moment. And we asked her, when did that happen? And she said, about 9.35. And that's right when we had stopped praying. You see, God delivered her in that moment. Rescued her in that moment, despite my own lack of faith. The prayers of his people, God delivered Little Katie in that moment. Man, that was powerful. Here's what changed for me that night. I think I realized in a new way that we have a God who delivers, who rescues. That little girl had been through more in her few years on earth than I had. She was a child who had been sold into slavery for sex. And God delivered her first to face of justice ministries and he continued to deliver her in the safe house. And seeing this shook me. In the best of ways. But I think the most eye opening for me. Was a reminder to me that I. Am in desperate need of deliverance too. In rescue. Every day. From my own pit. From my own sinfulness. Anxieties. Lack of faith. I need Rescue. I think I realized that night that I don't actually believe he wants to do that for me regularly. Because if he did, I think I would depend on him a lot more. And we do this, don't we? I think sometimes we doubt that God cares. We doubt that he sees our tough times, uh, our hard times, our lack of money, our job that we hate, our marriage that's falling apart, um, our relationships, our longings, the things that we don't have that we want. We doubt that he wants to Rescue us in the midst of that. Deliver us. Or perhaps we don't think we need it. You know, we have this thing figured out that our families, our spouses, our work, often we go about the day thinking that we can handle it all on our own. In our own power. Without need of anything or anyone. And yet what David is doing in the psalm is reminding us that we have a God who in his character is a deliverer for us. He's a rescuer in both our times of need and in our times of good. And this psalm is an interesting one. It kind of flips the order of, of the psalms and how they typically go. So typically, what the psalmist will do is he'll talk about his plight or his struggle or what he's going through in that moment. And then he'll build to confidence in God and the deliverer that God is. And yet, this psalm, and we're going to see why as we go through it. Flips that. It starts with confidence in God. It starts with him pulling David out of the miry pit. And ends with 
brokenness and neediness. And we're going to see why as we go through. But it's a picture of salvation is what I think it is. We have God who's able to deliver us from hell where we scream with despair and place us in heaven where we, scream, where we sing for joy. And this psalm is a picture of that. And so we're going to see that God's committed to delivering us and putting a new song of praise on our lips, as it says in verse 3. And we're going to see him do this in three ways. One, we must sing a new song of trust in the midst of waiting. Two, we must sing a new song of dedication in the midst of the watching world. And three, we must sing a new song of dependence in the midst of our need. So first, sing a new song of trust in the midst of waiting. Verse 1 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And patiently here is, is probably a little bit too static of a translation. The nuance in Hebrew is more of one of, of endurance, long grinding it out, a long waiting season that David had been in. He doesn't picture, uh, the Hebrew doesn't paint a picture of a man kind of just chilling, twiddling his thumbs calmly. No, it's the original language speaks of intense waiting, pleading with a kind of a nuance of hope, hoping to be delivered from the bottom of the pit. And the psalmist, and David says this, that God heard him, he inclined to him. And many of the psalms, specifically of lament, talk about waiting and patience in this way. That long enduring. And one thing that we've learned is that uh, often when you're in that place, all you can do is cry out. All you can do is cry out and hope that the Lord hears you. And what's cool about this psalm is that we see that God actually listened. He actually heard and he actually delivered David. Which is why uh, David says he inclined to him. What's fascinating is that he goes on to talk about his deliverance. Verse 2 says this, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. D.A. Carson describes this miry bog and the pit of destruction here figuratively as floundering hopelessness mingled with horror. Floundering hopelessness mingled with horror. That's where David was. That's how he describes his situation. He waited patiently for the Lord, cried out to him, and he was delivered. Now, some of you in this room might be in that place of floundering hopelessness mingled with horror. You feel like you're in that pit of destruction, that miry bog. So what does patiently waiting for the Lord look like? I think it's this. It's hope. It's trust. Even when you feel like you're floundering. It's hope and trust that you have a God who will deliver you from your place of brokenness, who hates that you are in the mire and in the mud, and who wants you to cry out to Him. And I know this is incredibly difficult. And yet God promises again and again and again throughout Scripture that He is a God who saves, who delivers, even in that long slog of brokenness. So how does trust grow out of this? Well, it's focusing on God. And on who he is. This psalm is about who God is and what he does. It's all about him. He promises us that when we are in that place, he hears us. He hears the words of David, putting our feet on solid ground. That is our new song. And that's why in verse 4 it says that we are blessed when we make the Lord our trust. 
And this sounds great in theory, but can we really trust God when we're in that place, in the thick of it there? I think the answer is found in verse 3. It says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And he says this in verse 5, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David is saying is that, that because you delivered me, because I have experienced your great rescue, I will trust in you. But I will not just trust in you. I will tell others about how you have delivered me. And put this new trust, this new song of trust on my lips. I think this means something for us. Stanley Mast, a theologian, puts it this way. I think it's going to be up there on the screen for you. It says this, one of the reasons the church is so weak and flabby, those are funny words, uh, and the world is so hard and closed is that believers don't talk enough in public about their private experiences of being rescued out of the pit and put on a peak. We often wonder how we can fulfill the Great Commission, feeling ill-equipped to share the gospel, but nearly all of us have a story to tell, a story that will bless people. One of the greatest gifts you can give someone who is in that place of floundering hopelessness right now is your shared experience and tales of God's deliverance, of his rescue of you, of the times you've experienced his great deliverance of you. A few weeks ago, I shared um, from this place um, that my wife and I had lost a baby recently. And um, that was really difficult to do in public. Um, but I never knew how much I needed to hear the tales and the stories from other people that have gone through something similar. Who spoke to us truth and love, didn't try to explain our feelings away, but just met us in that place and shared with us that they had been there. That the Lord had pulled them out of it. That he had rescued them and delivered them in the midst of it. Andrea was um, telling someone last night uh, that those weeks after we had lost the baby, that she would scroll through Instagram of friends and people that she had known that had also lost a baby that, that had shared their experience and God's goodness in the midst of it. And she said that it kept her going through those weeks. That that is what she clung to. And that is how we can inspire trust in one another. When we are pulled out of the miry bog, those stories of how God has done that, we can share that with people. And that is how we inspire trust in God to one another. That's how, in a way, God uses us as his deliverers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So who can you do that for this morning? Or vice versa, those of you that are in the thick of it right now, who can you allow in to empathize with you, to share in that experience with you? Who do you trust enough to do that? Because in that place might be where the Lord wants to deliver you and rescue you. And that brings us to our second point. So first we've seen that we have a God who delivers us and thus we must sing a new song 
of trust in the midst of waiting. Now we're going to see we must sing a new song of dedication in the midst of the watching world. So because we have a God who is relentless in his pursuit of us and his deliverance of us, who will get down in the mire and the mud with us and rescue us, pull us out, a response is needed from us, and that response is one of dedication. David says in verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. So David's doing a few things here. First, and I want to say this primarily, uh, he's not saying that God is doing away with, in that Old Testament context, the sacrificial system that he set up for the Israelites. No, that, that was given to them purposely. What he's saying here is that he's reminding the Israelites the purpose of those sacrifices and that ritual in the first place. They were always supposed to be emblematic of Israel's heart posture. Always. God has always acted towards his people in a gracious manner first. The sacrificial system itself was not set up as a merit-based system or a tit-for-tat relationship that God's in relationship with them. So to stay in that relationship, they have to do the sacrifices. No. God always graciously entered into covenant with his people. The point of the sacrificial system, the offerings and other rituals, were always to be from a place of devotion and dedication to a God who had already saved them. It was always about the heart. And that's what David's getting at here. He's saying, the response that God wants from me now, now that he's delivered me from my pain and hurt, from the miry bog, it's dedication. It's devotion. On a heart level, it's devoting all of his life to him. It's not just going through the religious motions, the sacrificial system, but rather the heart behind them. And this is why he says in verse 8, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. You see, he's not doing away with the law. He's saying your law is in my heart. Because God delivered him. He wants his obedience. He wants David to follow his way. He says this in verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of this deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love. You see, we come back to this idea that part of our devotion to God on a heart level is proclaiming that in the midst of the watching world who's watching us and seeing us. When God has delivered us and rescued us from either our sinfulness or our brokenness or our circumstances, does the world see our devotion to Him In the midst of that watching world, we've got to be proclaimers of God's deliverance. And this looks different for everyone. It does. But one way that is the same for every Christian in this room is the story of how God delivered us out of our own sin and saved us from ourselves. You see, each of us were in the pit. We were in the miry bog of our own sinfulness. And God saved us. He rescued us from ourselves, from our own dead bodies, ridden with sin, making us whole again. That song we just sang, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. The refrain is, wash me, Savior, or I die. That is the greatest deliverance that we have. He delivered us from the rebellion of our own making. And through Jesus Christ, washed us and made us new. We've all experienced that as Christians. 
So if we've all experienced that, what does devotion and dedication look like? I think the starting place for us is our hearts. See, Jesus is about our heart. And this is what the psalm is trying to remind us. Jesus wants our devotion and dedication to him, but not in an empty and lifeless way. He wants our hearts. And we have a lot of spiritual practices and rhythms that we do here at Hope Chapel that could, in a lot of ways, seem like empty, almost like a sacrificial system done, but not really embraced at a heart level. Coming to church is important every Sunday morning because walking through the liturgy, hearing the word preached, coming to the table, singing psalms and spiritual songs together is in every week of Jesus wooing our hearts. We don't do it just to do it. Jesus meets us in those places to speak to and love on our hearts. Getting in the word regularly, alone and together, is not done out of duty because Christian culture expects this out of us. No, it's a place where we commune with Jesus and meet with the Father as they speak directly to the deepest needs of our hearts. Going to community group every week, pressing into community is not something done without thought or without reason, but it's in that space with other believers that our hearts are renewed and rededicated to who God is and to the God that loves us, that has rescued us. You see, our spiritual practices and rhythms are never meant to be done to make us feel better or fit in or check off a box, spiritual or social or otherwise. They're all about Jesus wanting our hearts to grow fonder of him. More dedicated and devoted to him. Where do you need to be reminded of that this morning? Where do you need a renewed outlook on your spiritual practices? And where does Jesus want to woo your heart again this morning? He says, come. I want you. I want your heart. That's the devotion from you I want. Not to kill yourself in my service, but to give me your heart. And let me care for it. Love on it. And then send you out on mission for my kingdom. And one that's in a fulfilling and loving and healthy way. Not one that is empty and ritualistic. And that brings us to our final point. So God has delivered us from our sin and the sin of the world. And he's put a new song on our lips of first trust in the midst of waiting. Second dedication in the midst of the watching world. And now we're going to sing that we must sing a new song of dependence in the midst of our need. One thing that I've, um, and I might be weird in this, but one thing that I love uh, in books and in movies and in TV shows uh, is them ending without resolution, uh, which I might just be a weirdo, but um, I realize I'm drawn to times where at the end, uh, the couple doesn't get together or we still don't really know who did the, the murder or whether the protagonist is crazy delusional or not. Um, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think that lack of resolution uh, is actually, in a lot of ways, much truer to our human experience. I think I want to see that. I want to experience some of that. And you know, it's funny. That's what David's doing here in the last six verses. He's leaving us a little open-ended. He spent 11 straight verses talking about the deliverance of God, the goodness of God, his confidence in his deliverance, the dedication to God. He left it at verse 11, almost like he was unshakably confident 
and the God he was in relationship with. And if that was the case, he would have ended it there. But in verses 12 through 17, we hear something different. And uh, evil has encompassed him immeasurably. Uh, and he's fallen into such sin that he cannot even see anymore. Uh, it's, his sins are so much, they're more than hairs on his head in verse 12. He cries out for deliverance again in verse 13 before uh, claiming that he's got all these enemies coming after him that he wants to put to shame. And verses 14 and 15, he claims that if God delivers him, everyone will say that the Lord is great while he claims himself to be poor and needy. In verse 17, hoping again for deliverance. Now, how is this the same guy? That just a few short verses ago said that God pulled him out of the miry bog, out of floundering hopelessness, put his feet on solid ground, that God was faithful to him, loved him, uh, was righteous. How is this even the same guy? Here's what I think. I think David is instructing us and reminding us of something. We are finite and sinful beings who are in need of rescue every day. We are always in need of God. And, and I think it's the moments we think we have it figured out, are we going to be okay on our own, or that we don't need anyone, that's when we are most prone to falling in the miry bog again. When we think we have it all together, is perhaps when we're closest to the floundering hopelessness that David talked about earlier. David is instructing us in the latter half of the psalm that the new song on our lips is one of dependence on God. There's no bow that wraps up the end of the psalm where David and God have everything together now. No, he ends this psalm ambiguously, less triumphantly than the first half, reminding us that though God rescued and delivered him from tough and very difficult circumstances, everything is not perfect. He is in need of God. He is poor and needy. In fact, because God had pulled him out and rescued him before, he, he's perhaps more needy now than less. He's more dependent on God now than he was before. That's so instructive for us. And here's why. Tragedy can strike at any moment. And some of that can be our own sinful mistakes that we make that can be ruinous on ourselves and our families. Some of it can be outside of our control, sin done to us. Or it could just be the brokenness of the world that finally affects us and hits us. Loss of jobs, cancer, loss of life. There's no rhyme or reason to the sin in the world. And the effects can be catastrophic on us any second. I don't want to say this in the sense of fear-mongering. I'm, I, I'm not trying to give you all a pessimistic worldview, a kind of hypochondria of the dangers of the world. That's not my intent. But the point of this is that without a deep understanding of our own need and dependence on God, where will we be? When those times hit, we will be flailing in the midst of pain and suffering like we've never known, with no framework to trust in God. You see, if we can learn our own neediness and our own dependence on God when things are going okay or even well, we'll at least have a language to do it when the world crumbles around us.
We can't do this thing on our own. We are needy. We are people who are in need, and I wonder what it would look like for us as a church to lead with our need and our dependence on God first. In every single step that we take, in every single decision we make as a church, every single thing that we do, what if we led with a deep understanding of our dependence and need of God to rescue and deliver us? I think we look like a people who know at the very depth of who they are that they've been rescued and delivered. And some of you do this really well. Some of you, when I talk to you, you are instructive to me. You remind me how great my dependence is lacking in the Lord and how much I need to grow in this. How when Andrea and I make life decisions, rarely is the first thing I do pray and ask for God's guidance. That how often I open my Bible to study, to preach, rather than for the Lord to speak to me and teach me. How often do I just go about my day thinking I've got it all figured out? I struggle with this, truly, with my dependence on God. And yet, this psalm is reminding me how great my need is. And how grateful I am that he rescued me and saved me and gave me salvation. And how that's never changing. But he's also reminding me how great my need is every single day for him. What about you? You've been reminded, perhaps, this morning, you've been rescued and delivered in the greatest rescue mission in history. By God himself sending his son to earth. A rescue mission where the son of God died so that the entire world would be saved. We are a people who are in dire need of rescue. And in that place of desperation, Jesus saved us. And he still does. He still meets us there. That is where our dependence starts. Looking at our sinfulness and the grace that Jesus poured out on us lavishly. And since we left... Costa Rica, I've still struggled with this idea. Um, those girls who were rescued out of their slavery, uh, they've gone through so much. Their stories are so horrid. Can God actually restore them? Can he actually deliver them so that when they turn 18, government mandated, they have to leave the safe house? Are they going to be okay? feels hopeless at times. But then I remember little Katie, and I remember God's deliverance of her and her heart. And I remember that we have a God, once again, who rescues and delivers us. And that's not the only night that little Katie's going to struggle and come face to face with her demons of her past. And it probably isn't the last time God will deliver her. It's who he is. It's who in his character. That is where we can hope. So let's remind ourselves that even in the long and the enduring of pain and hardship, trusting that God will rescue and deliver us is a possibility even when it seems impossible. Reminding ourselves that because God delivered and rescued us, we can be dedicated to Him, living our lives in such a way that the watching world is astounded by His power and His goodness and His grace. And we can remind ourselves of our own 
neediness, our own desperation, the fact that we are finite and sinful, constantly in need of God to provide for us, care for us. And it is in that dependence that we find strength. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you sent your son on the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. That you deliver us from our own sin and brokenness and then you deliver us every single day through your grace. God, remind us of that. Let us live our lives in service to that and let us share stories with one another, reminding one another of your goodness, your grace, trusting that you will continue to pull us out of our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world. Father, let that be our praise on our lips, the new song on our lips together. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.